This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. everyone, welcome into another episode of Kentucky Daily, a daily podcast covering your University of Kentucky Wildcats. I'm Sean Smith, he's Derek Terry, and Derek, we might as well go ahead and introduce our third guest, which is the mailbag, because it's full today. Yeah, yeah, we're going to have a pretty loaded episode, um, a lot to get to, so we can hop right in if you're ready. <laughs> yes, we're up to, I think, 26 questions in the mailbag, and it's still growing, so... Uh, I'm going to close the mailbox. (laughs) No more submissions. If we miss it, we'll get to it next time. So let's go ahead and start off with, and the topics too, Derek, are just, uh, we're going to be bouncing all over the place because I'm not going to go through them in in order of basketball, football, all that. We're just going to go down through it as we go. First one, if you could get Brad Stevens, would you take him over Cal? (laughs) So we'll we'll just start hot for this one. Um, probably should I'd throw say, an icebreaker in there, right? <laughs> no, I'd I'd say no. I mean, I he's only coached a Butler. He's obviously he's been very good with the Celtics. I know he's like rumored to be like a little bit more heat on him than normal because of the way the Celtics season has been going. Although I've not checked in on that lately. But no, I mean you you've already know that Cal's a good fit for Kentucky. Like let's not lose our minds for one year. That's what I would say. If he if, it's, if this continues the next two or three years and the question pops up again, then maybe. But one, I don't even think he would come here anyway, Brad Stevens. So he's not leaving his job with the Celtics right now. No. Now, if John Calipari and the job were open, would I take Brad Stevens? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But, no. Like, no, I don't think that we should overreact and, and jump <laughs> jump ship with Cal. Let's let's see what happens next year and moving forward. Uh, but if I think if you could tell Kentucky fans that Brad Stevens would be one of the, the candidates when the job is open – I think Kentucky fans would definitely be thrilled with that possibility, Derek. But, uh, no, I I wouldn't take him over Cal right now. Uh, The next question comes from Ben. So, Jimmy Dykes said Cal was planning on bringing in eight new guys next year. One, who would that even be? Two, who would the odd men out be on this team? Derek, it's it's a good question because I don't think that you and I at any point ever thought that eight guys – new guys would come in next year because we've been talking about all these guys returning that's off this team now. They only have three commitments or three signees for next year. Uh, you could count Oscar Shubway as a fourth. That's four more spots. I, I don't know about eight guys. H- how do you feel? Yeah, I had a problem. Well, I wouldn't say I had a problem with that. I had a hard time understanding it because I think you could say Jimmy Probably talked directly to Cal. I know he said he had, and that might have been where that number came from. That's what makes it confusing is I don't think it was a number that Jimmy just made up. But like you're saying, I don't really – 
one, I think it'd be a terrible thing if, if the roster is gutted that much after this year. Um, so to answer Ben's question, I, I don't even know who it would be. I mean, we know the guys we talk about all the time leaving. Um, Sar Jackson, Boston Clark, that's four. So, I mean, that's half that list. But, you know, you also have Mets who could possibly go. Um, you know, maybe some transfers in there. But to add, like you're saying, they'd have to add, unless Cal was counting Oscar already, you're talking about having to add five more guys. And yeah. I, I see, like, two or three tops the way I see this thing playing out. So And, th- and uh, two, three would be kind of exaggerating it a little bit, right? Like, honestly. I mean, yeah, I so they took two last year. Sorry if that bag's making some noise in the background. Burns up here. Um, two, two is the most they've taken, right? I think from a, from a transfer portal. So, I mean, unless they're going to take, like, unless they think it, like, Trevor kills and they want Brandon Podzinski and then they want to take a few more transfers, like, I, I don't see all that playing out. So, I – And people would have to leave, right? Yeah. And I don't know Jimmy said eight. I, I would just still say as of now, I'd be surprised if it gets that high. That, that would really surprise I, me. I would even. set it, counting Oscar, which is at four, I would say it gets to six. I, that's what I would say, too. Two and, unless someone surprises you in transfers. Like if we're talking about a, a Dante Allen. When we're talking transfer, we're clearly – Jacob Toppin's not going anywhere. Uh, I don't – Keon Brooks isn't transferring. I mean, the only way that Keon wouldn't be in the program is if he decided to pursue a professional career. So who who would be the options if we're even concerned about any guys transferring? Happy Dante, maybe Lance Ware and Cameron Fletcher? Is that it? But I'm I'm not. I, w- I wouldn't about... say it would be crazy if Askew just decided after how this year went that he'd want to go somewhere else. I'm not. I don't. I think he'll come back. But I'm just saying, like, I think you could make an argument for for both sides. Well, you could. Yeah, um, that's all sound. I mean, I just it wouldn't stun me, and especially with the. I know he's been adamant that he's not like those other West Coast guys, but every West Coast guy who's been here. Um, Marcus Lee stayed a few years, but even he transferred out at some point. So those guys typically leave before the their time's up. But I, Askew wouldn't be very high on my list, though. I will say that. Like, I think he will be back next year. I'm just saying if you're just considering the possibilities, I think he would be a guy who there's at least some some case to make either way. Yeah. Uh, do, you, do you have the tweet pulled up there, too? I'll let you read I, the next question. I do, yeah. So we're moving on. Um, this question comes from Keith Spencer. He says, La Familia is the calling card for this program. How do you think this group will be perceived by Pat Player? Uh, I think he means past players. Oh, past players. Okay. Yeah. Underachieving, uh, question mark, and it said, brought the program down. Do any of those guys come back and visit, or do you think they will be, be or feel disconnected? That's a good question, considering that this is uh, historically – Derek, I was talking to my dad today, and we were – just talking back and forth about how bad that this team has been this season. And I told Dad, I said, well, historically, it's, it's it's the worst. Like when you're talking in in his lifetime, for sure, uh, my lifetime too, how do these kids feel about this program at Kentucky? They didn't get the Kentucky effect. They didn't get the 21,000 fans at Rupp Arena. They didn't get the Big Blue Madness crowd, the, the camp out, and all those things that make Kentucky what it is. And how many of these guys – Come back. Well, I think some will come back as long as Cal's here. But do you see anyone from this team coming back 25, 20 years from now? Unless it's just to, to get somebody, to get something together for an event or something. I, I don't know. Like, I think that's a, a tough question because they didn't really get the good of Kentucky. They got a lot of the bad. 
unless they go on a run in Nashville and win the SEC tournament, I think this will be a very quickly forgotten about team. Um, I think it's also easy to say it's, you know, the COVID year that it's not – just hasn't felt like a real season. I think the same way about the football team, too, this past year. I mean, I think that that will be a year that's just not talked about a whole lot. Obviously, that football season was not as bad to the extent that the that the basketball season has been. But, no, I mean, I think you could have a situation if enough guys come back and they turn it around that, you know, they're remembered fondly. You think about guys like Willie Cauley-Stein. You think about Alex Boythris. All guys who were on the NIT team in 2013, which at the time seemed like, you know, as low as it could get <laughs> for Cal. Um, and they came back and still had a good career. So, you know, for the kids who aren't here next year, like, I'll just use them as an example. If, if BJ Boston leaves, if you're one modest opinion, do I think fans will remember him fondly? No, probably not. Um, if that's fair to him, I'm not really sure. But again, there's still time though for them to change, to change how people feel. But hey, if they lose tomorrow and they go and they lose the first game of the SEC tournament, people will be turning the page so quick to move on from this group. Uh, it won't even be funny. No, yeah, you're you're spot on with that. I think a lot of fans are honestly ready for it to be over and uh that gets us into the next one it's it's uh from pierce he says one when does football season start two can we forfeit the remaining basketball games and three can we get orlando and tigua back he said i'll hang up and listen <laughs> um well football spring ball will be starting soon um no they can't forfeit the rest of well, i guess definitely they could if they had some kind of you know bad virus outbreak i guess they technically wouldn't have to finish the season but Obviously, they'll, they will. Um, and on Orlando and Tigua, I, I don't see that happening. Um, feels to me like fans clamoring for an, for an era that's gone, honestly, in my opinion, for, for UK basketball. I think that, you know, the staff that Cal has is a staff that he feels comfortable with. And, and maybe there will be some guys leave, but I, I got to think, uh, I don't know. I mean, he wasn't even considered this past go-around, was he? No whenever, you know, Kenny left. So I don't see why that would change now. And uh, I don't know how much it matters, but if I remember correctly, he had some – maybe it wasn't necessarily him, but someone on his staff, I believe, had some had some recruiting issues going on at South Florida. South Florida, yeah. So that probably takes it off the, off the table, I would say. Yeah, it does. Uh, I agree with that. Uh, next question comes from Kenneth. I think I think this is a good one, too. What's the biggest lesson John Calipari should learn from this year? Derek, it is a good question because, you know, Calipari is all the time talking about, you know, you you win or you learn. And they didn't win this year. So he has to follow his own message, right? He's got to learn something from this. This this isn't this isn't an NIT year where we're talking about you know, Kentucky losing to Vandy in the first round of the SEC tournament and being off the bubble like they were in 2013. That that team wasn't as bad as this team. Uh, that team had an injury to kind of hide behind when it came to Nerwin's Noel. So they you could always spin that narrative that it was a Sweet 16 team, possibly had they been healthy. I think the thing that Cal needs to learn, man, this is tough because. I don't know. I think th- I think the thing that Cal needs to get to now is the thing that we've been talking about for months. He's got to get this program to a point that it doesn't lose 90% of its roster, whether that be 90% of a roster from a really good Kentucky team 
or 90% of a roster from a really bad Kentucky team. Because if you have a lot of turnover off of this season and it ends up being eight new guys next year, what was this year for? Exactly. Yeah, so I would – I'm going to say it this way, and maybe he, maybe he does this more than I give him credit for. Like, to me, I think you have to really evaluate the people you're taking. I totally understand – you know, you want to get the highest ranked players. You want to get the best of the best. I feel like for a lot of his tenure, he's been able to maybe take take guys and they were talented enough where he could find a way to make it work, if that makes sense. Like, because the roster construction this year, he probably thought, you know, he could make it work. And then once you see a weak link or two, you it really, I think, compounds on the pro- problem that the roster was, one, just not constructed very well. So I think moving forward in recruiting, you have to really – focus in how do you evaluate these guys in your program things like that because I just think this kind of like you just look at it now on paper I mean it just is not a very this wasn't constructed very well I mean you gotta and and you can honestly say next year's roster depending on how it shakes out like you have a chance to get a little bit more in balance but again like are those guys just going to be here one year are they all going to be grad transfers will they be regular transfers it's hard to say right now so Obviously, after a season like this, he has to evaluate, you know, what he's doing as well. I mean, he's he's said it again today. You know, I've, since my first year coaching 35 years ago, I, I've not had a season like this. Well, why'd that happen? Is the message that you had a lot of those years is is are the, are the kids changing? Is there a different way you have to kind of go about this thing? I, I think it's probably more of a of a talent thing. I think if he can get the right guys back in here, the message he's always had should still play. That, that's my opinion. Yeah, but. Yeah, he's got a lot of things. I mean, he, every. I mean, I don't know how you look at anything and don't think about, you know, changing it or, or wondering if you're doing it right, right? I mean, a season as bad as this. Yeah, you, you've got to look at the – I don't think you go – you don't scrap everything that you've ever done. I just think you try to find what you can still do that's been successful and ha- what do you modify? You know, what do you, what do you change? Like, because obviously the game is changing – uh, the college basketball is not the same as it was in 2009, 2010, Derek. It's, it's wow. completely changed. You have the G League now. And what Kentucky did with the one and done, it changed college basketball forever. And Duke followed. And now what you're seeing is just just from those schools uh, doing it. You saw kids go to LSU. You're seeing kids go to Oklahoma State. You're seeing kids go to other places and being one and done kids. It changed it all over college basketball, not just at your blue blood programs. And I think now you're at a point where what's the next change? How Who's the next person to, to do something and, and be different and stand out? Is it Calipari? Is it somebody else? I don't know. But I just think that that's the thing that he needs to learn the most is just uh, this roster turnover stuff. It's not going to work if you're not getting the John Walls, the Anthony Davises, the uh, Jamal Murrays, those those level players. They, those guys are so good coming out of high school. It just it makes a significant difference. They haven't had those guys on their roster. They don't have them this year at all. Uh, next question. It's been a topic we've talked about a lot. It comes from Tanner. What is Askew's ceiling, and what does he need to focus on in the offseason to make an impact in 21-22? Derek, I think the thing that Devin Askew needs to find is he needs to find a burst. I don't know if you can find that at 19 years old or 18, 19 years old in Division One. You either have it or you don't, right? I don't know if that's something you can just do is be able to beat defenders off the bounce. And if he can't do that, I think the biggest thing that Devin Askew needs to do is become a lockdown defender and a knockdown shooter. 
Yeah, that's there's nothing else I would add to that. That's exactly the two things that I think he would have to have in order to I think he'll be a rotation player no matter what next year, but in order to to really help the team. If he can do those two things then he'll have a, a, a solid role. But yeah, if not then then you're limited. And I think he's gonna move off the ball as well, don't you? I mean he has he, he can play point guard next year as a backup, you know, if if, if something happens. I mean I think actually that's a pretty good spot to have him in if if your regular starter, whoever that might be, uh, might be um, either is foul trouble or just isn't playing well. If you just need a, someone to mix it up, uh, I think Askew's fine to move there given his experience this year. But, no, you definitely don't want to be in the same scenario uh, as you are this year where he's perceived to be the only option. No, you, you can't get – you can't be in that spot again. And I, I would have said – I would have said that. Uh, would be the the thing Cal Perry needs to learn from too. But he also assumed that this would be a really good backcourt, and it's been his easily, I think, his worst backcourt. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, think about it this way, man. Even Archie Goodwin shot around forty four percent, I think, at UK. <laughs> and then you compare that to Brandon Boston at thirty five, which a big difference there. Um, Archie, of course, had an ability to to get to the rim, so he was able to to get some more easy buckets and finish some easier shots than. Um, than BJ was. But I'll take the next question, Sean. It comes from Adam. Um, he says, did you see enough of Terrence Clark to consider him worth drafting if you're an NBA team? Oh, boy. I don't think so. Unless you're going off of his high school mixtape and some stuff you saw at, at Peach Jam and, and things like that. I, I don't know if you saw enough. Uh, all those issues have still been there that we were kind of tipped off about and stuff. Uh I was told that going into his season at Kentucky, I was told from a couple of people that Terrence Clark was an ego that John Calipari was going to have to stroke. Like that was the type of of player that Cal was getting. It was one of those kids that I don't know if Cal could really get onto. I think it was more of a he had to he had to build him up. He had to say good things about him. I, I just don't know, Derek. When you look at what Terrence Clark did early. Uh, sure, he had the game at, against Georgia Tech where I thought he easily played his best. Uh, from that point on, he, he was kind of injured, right? Notre Dame, he wasn't 100%. North Carolina, he wasn't 100%. And then the last time we saw him on the floor against Louisville, he wasn't 100%. I think had he been healthy and he could have showcased the ability to play the one, I think he had the potential to probably be the team's highest, one of the team's highest drafted players right there with Isaiah Jackson. But – I don't know if I take a chance on him. If if I have multiple picks in this draft, I don't. I definitely don't take a first round pick on him. If I have multiple picks and I could get him somewhere late second round, I'd do it. But I, I think it's a guy that's going to spend. If he leaves and he's on an NBA roster next year or NBA team, I think he spends eighty five to ninety percent of it in the G League, possibly even more. Yeah, I agree with that. I think um, the way I see it. I agree with you. I wouldn't take him in the first round, so at least 30 more picks. I will say in terms of second round, you will not find 30 more guys uh, with more potential than him. No. So that's won't. why I think for sure someone would take him in the second round. But like you're saying, when you end up in that spot, I mean, it's a grind to to get there. Maybe he'll be good enough. It won't really matter to him. Um, but, again, he's one of those guys that <laughs> makes a lot of sense to, to come back and prove some more. But for whatever reason, it doesn't seem like a possibility. So um, I, I agree with that, though. I would say second round. So, yes, I think he will get picked. But for a kid who's like 19 or 20, who has a lot of room to grow, uh, 
he seemed he would seem to be a guy who would have obvious reasons to come back. Yeah, it sounds like he won't. So we'll take the next question, Sean. Um, let's go with the name on here is Jay. Why does everyone want more four-year players, but also call for our freshmen to transfer? <laughs> that's the uh, that's the people we've been talking about, right? That yeah. they scream that they want the four-year guys, and then they tell Dante Allen to transfer out of the program. Like it doesn't make sense. That's why. If you could give Kentucky fans, if you could assure Kentucky fans that they would be 27 to 32 wins regular season, get to the Elite Eight, get breakthrough and get to a Final Four appearance every other year, have a chance to win a national championship with every team, they would take it, Derek, if it was full of 11 one-and-dones. Yeah, they would. And they would also take it the other way, too. If the roster was full of 11 players that have been through the program, as long as Kentucky basketball is winning and they're elite, fans don't care how the roster is constructed. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think well, where the where the issue probably comes um, in terms of this question is I think the people – I think maybe at this point people are so conditioned to think that these kids are going to be leaving regardless that um, – I don't know. I, I don't know. The question, I mean, it's it's true though. Like I guess what I'm trying to say is – where there's no guarantee, even with a season this bad, that guys will be four-year players. So I think that's where a lot of the people who are upset, I think that's where that comes from. Because I think there's just a thought that there are no four-year players, basically, at UK. So if that's the case, and the freshmen who aren't performing very well, I guess people just see it as, hey, have him leave. And then maybe if it's going to be a one-and-done guy anyway, it'll be better than this than this kid. But now that it's kind of the – interesting spot they've fallen in um this is a question sean I, I didn't really i don't really know where it's coming from i guess it's maybe transfer speculation it comes from tyler he asks what's more likely marcus carr or cj frederick i, I gotta i mean obviously marcus carr plays at minnesota and frederick plays at iowa i gotta assume this is regarding transfers although i've not heard anything about either of these two kids coming to uk i haven't either um he he sent that to me via direct message too, and also he asked he asked this question too, Derek, and you might know the answer to this before we even talk about that. He said, "What are prices for UK baseball games, or are they still free except for the series against U of L? Do you know the answer to that?" Mm, I don't, and I don't know who they're allowing in the stadium and who they're not. Um, we could probably find that out though, couldn't we? Yeah, through someone. I'll I'll ask Tyler and uh, and make sure. But as far as the Marcus Carr, CJ Frederick question i i'm not really sure like are we, are we asking who would be a better fit at kentucky is that what we're talking about Derek? or are we just talking about it seems to me like i mean what what would be the more likely case which one of these two guys would be more likely to come here but i guess where i'm hung up on is i'm not really sure that either are likely to come here yeah uh, and i'll say this too for people like i i don't like speculating much on kids before they're actually in the portal anyway I don't really get just picking out some random people and, and talk. you can say some kids might be a good fit, but in terms of like what's more likely until they show any kind of inclination that they want to transfer, it's hard for me to, to talk about those kind of kids. It is. And uh, CJ Frederick is from Alexandria, Kentucky, uh, both guards. So we, we know Kentucky needs guards, but yeah, we, we won't speculate on anything. We'll, we'll have to wait until it's official till something does happen with someone. Uh, but appreciate the question. Uh, Tower, but what, what's the next question, Eric? You have another one there. Yeah, we'll go with Brandon. Uh, he asked if 
Wimsett commits to the UK while others follow. Of course, he's talking about Gavin Wimsett, who we talked about on last night's show. Uh, I'll say yeah. I mean, yeah, I think so. I think it's always good having that highly ranked quarterback to get into your class. And if he takes on that recruiter role, I mean, one thing that's going to be interesting about these kids, though, that's different than, like, say, a Drew Barker scenario it was Drew had spent, like, years on the recruiting circuit with these kids, whereas someone like Gavin, I mean, had a whole year of that taken away because of COVID. Now, with the internet and things like that, I mean, any of these kids can get in contact with each other, no problem. But in terms of forming those relationships, I think it might be a little different for him. But I, I got to think, at least locally, it will help for sure if uh, if he commits. And it sounds like his timeline is going to be in the next few weeks. Um, 24-7 had an update today discussing Gavin and um, – a bit interesting, Sean. Maybe we can take a minute to talk about this. He has recently visited, excuse me, and of course, you know, they can't have contact. These kids cannot have contact with um, the coaching staff when they're there, but, you know, they can still go visit the campus. Like, a, I mean, anybody, anybody can go to the campus. Um, but he went to Kentucky, Cincinnati, and Rutgers, of course, up there in Piscataway, New Jersey recently. And, and the way Steve Wolfong kind of wrote the story, it made me think that those are the three main contenders right now. <laughs> Which is interesting, isn't it? It is interesting. That for a top 100 kid that, you know, Cincinnati and Rutgers seem at this point to be the main competition. Now, of course, Notre Dame was, was thought to be in there. What I would really like to know is is if he was – had Notre Dame reach out to him and wanted him to get on board and he told them no, or if Notre Dame just went ahead with, with the other kid that they actually got the commitment from. And that's what I don't know yet and, yeah. and might not know. But i, I got to say, though, with that list, I mean – I. I, I damn near put him at a lock for UK. There's, there's no way he's, he's picking Rutgers over Kentucky or, or even Cincinnati for that matter. I know Cincinnati's really improved and they're a really solid Group of Five program. But uh, in a, in a, when you look at that depth chart after next season, anyway, I would speculate after this season that he's going to have a, a pretty clear path in a few years to play. I got to think Kentucky's heavily in the driver's seat in this recruitment at this point. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. And as far as what it would do for others following, when you can get a quarterback, especially a quarterback of his of his status, that's a big start to your recruiting class and a big piece to build around. Yeah, let me say this too. I don't think we have any other questions regarding UK's 2022 class. At least I don't see any. Um, I was doing some, some research last night, you could call it. Um, if, if I would say Kentucky is at the very least, the very least, and you could probably make an argument they might even lead for all these kids, but the very least they're in the top three for Gavin Wimsett, Miles Rouser, who's a safety from Michigan, and Emil Wagner, who's, of course, Ahmad's little brother. He's an offensive lineman. If they got those three commitments, as of now in these rankings, of course, it's just March. They will change. But if they were to commit, say, in the next month, and I don't know that they will, but just for the scenario, if they were to commit in the next month, those three guys right there would all move into, I believe, the top eight all-time in U.K. commitments. And you would have six guys in the top ten all on next year's team. Wow. Which would just further illustrate. And that's not even including a guy like Keontae Goodwin, who I think they're probably on the outside looking in right now just with the intention he's getting. But, you know, those are three kids right there. that That's that's why I'm so high on this 22, uh, on this 22 class, just because – Kentucky's roster is made up of a lot of, of four-star guys at this point, but a lot of them are kind of on the lower end four-star, which is still good. I mean, it's, that's totally fine. But when you're talking about them moving up in the composite rankings and things like that, you got to get some of those top 100 kids 
and all three of those guys would fit that bill and uh, be some of the highest ranked kids on next year's team. So I just wanted to throw that out there because I think there's a, I think they're, I think they're going to get Wimsett and I think they've got a good chance to get Rouser. And I think Wagner, Wagner's got some good options. He, he would be a great get. I think they got a lot of things working in their favor, but he's a big guy in terms of academics and he's got Notre Dame and Stanford on his list as the other two schools to watch out for. So that that's going to be a tough one to pull, but I think they can do it. And if they do, I mean, that's a, that's a heck of a start to, to 22. Yeah. And staying on the football uh, topic for just a moment, I'll let you answer this one, Derek. It comes from Walker. It says any news on the running backs coach position. I've heard absolutely nothing. I mean, no leaks at all, uh, which is rare that you wouldn't even hear a little bit of some scuttlebutt from somewhere because with, with Liam, he, I heard his name, you know, before he probably hours before Matt Jones tweeted about it, I would say. So it was, it was, you know, once it got out, people started hearing it, but that was probably what four or five days before he officially got hired. We knew yeah. about him at least Yeah. with this. I've not heard, I've not heard any names. No. Jay Bulware was a guy that I think got some speculation because Liam followed him on Twitter. That's not happening. I can confirm that. But past that, I've got no idea. I mean, I think they can go ahead and fill the position now. I don't think there's any time left because Singleton's been gone for a few weeks now, and they probably posted that right away. But, no, to be completely honest, I've, I've not heard anything on the running back coach. No. So that'll, that'll be something to follow, too. Just a, what a weird situation, right? You get one, you think you've got him, and then he – and then after a few weeks, he's off to the NFL, and then you're looking for another another yeah. running backs coach. But uh, we'll be following that one. I'm trying to see if there's any more football, and I don't see any. So let's go back to a couple more basketball ones here. Ben had another one. Did we, we didn't get to Ben. Had no, and, and that's the follow-up that was coming from uh, the Jimmy Docs question, right? Is that the one you're seeing from Ben Link? About the point guard? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Ben sent the question about Jimmy Docs and the uh, saying the eight possible new guys. So then Ben followed it with this. And sorry, Ben, I didn't, I didn't see these for some reason. It put it at the bottom of the tweet. So he says, and do we actually truly believe next year will be much better considering there aren't any point guards left to recruit considering Scott doesn't seem like he wants to reclass and considering Hickman is ranked around where Askew was when he came in. Is there actually hope? I think Kentucky fans, Derek, are actually at a point right now that they are wondering if next year will be better, even if some guys come back. Um, I'm going to say Scott Clark probably doesn't reclassify, considering that there's talk of him moving uh, schools again. I, I don't know for sure. I mean, I think you could come down to what's the roster look like in May, and is there is there a path to get to Kentucky and get a lot of minutes there at that position? But you and I are both under – I think under the assumption that Nolan Hickman will be an upgrade at point guard. Uh, We talked about Nolan Hickman on the most recent podcast and what, you know, Corey Evans was talking that he might've possibly been the the best point guard in the class. Uh, This is a guy that Tony Barbie and John Calipari identified while they were recruiting Paolo Bancaro and they had their eye on him for a while and nobody even knew about it. So it's a guy that they identified months before he, we even learned about him. So probably six or seven months, honestly. So I think it's a guy that they want. I think it's a guy that they know fits. Uh, I do think he will be an upgrade at that spot. Yeah, and if we're going to play the whole where, where he's ranked game, he's ranked right around where Shea Gillis Alexander was as well. So 
yeah, you can say Askew was ranked right around there and it turned out poorly, but there are examples of guys who were ranked in that top 35 range who turned out to be very good. So I, as a team, though, I mean, I think it's a fair question. Uh, and it's too early to say. I mean, I want to see who comes back. I think there's certainly a pretty obvious path to where you would think they'll be much improved. But until we actually see the roster, I think it's fair to wonder. if it, I, I hit that point, Ben. I think it was the Missouri game when I tweeted it. Like, yeah. I'm to the point where, yeah, I kind of see this. Like, I, I don't know that they will be significantly better. But as the year has gone on, I think you've seen Keon take steps. If he comes back, just from what I've seen of Oscar, I think he'll be, for what Cal wants to do, I think he will be a major upgrade for the team. Now, that's not me saying – I think Sar in the right system has value. I don't think that Sar has been a great fit for for Cal, and you could say Cal's not been a great fit for Sar. I mean, I just don't think his strengths have been utilized in a way that you would hope for a player like him. But Oscar is a little bit more of that rugged, throw it down to the block. You, you don't have to worry about Oscar taking many jump shots, I don't think, next year. And, and as I think you can get it to him, and he can score down there. He'll rebound for you. He'll play hard. I think that will help next year's team. And then if Hickman just is a little bit better, I mean, I think he'll be, I think he will be an upgrade, like we said. So that leaves some some questions for sure, but I think you at least have a pretty good starting point on next year's team that you didn't really have this year. You you don't, and, and think about this too. Kentucky almost ended up with Matt Harms, who would have been an even more out of place fit yeah. at Kentucky than what Olivier Sar has been. Like that that would have been an awful fit, and I think I think we all got wrapped up in. Sar being the best transfer on the market when it came to production and it come to rankings and all that stuff. I, I think that we all got caught up in that because it had also been something that when they got Reed Travis, it worked out. But well, that's the thing, man. The transfer portal is just a bit of a crapshoot, isn't it? I mean, you it don't, is. You don't know. That's, that's why it's a little. That's why I totally get people who like, like there might be a 17 point game score going to the portal who UK gets this year, and comes here and maybe just doesn't turn out to be like it's just hard to know it's hard to know how they're going to turn out and that's why like you said Reed was a good example um I would say Mance has been good overall I mean I think it is the team hasn't been great so maybe that hurts him a little bit but like he's, he's been fine he's, he's shown that he can play at this level it's just tricky to to have to rely majorly I would say yeah. on kind of a last minute guy going into the portal trying to help your team yep I mean it's it's always been a guy that's like Davion Mintz was there. Davion Mintz was supposed to add depth at point guard. He was supposed to add depth to, or sort of be a guy there to help Devin Askew. And instead, he's kind of had to lead. And I don't think that that was ever the intention uh, for Davion Mintz this year at Kentucky. Uh, but Jonathan followed up to with the Jimmy Dykes topic. He said, "Do you think Jimmy D actually knows from Cal?" that they're looking for that many new players. You know, you mentioned that earlier, Derek, and Jimmy talks to Cal. If yeah. so, does that mean Cal thinks these guys are lacking talent or the mentality needed to improve and be great? I would I would say to the second part, probably mentality. Yeah. I think if Cal thought that these kids could develop and they had what it took, then I, I don't think he'd have any problem. But where it would probably concern him is, is if three years from now, if he doesn't think those things can be corrected, then maybe he – would move on but again I just I don't know eight seems high to me I just I just don't think it's going to get to that point no that that seems a little exaggerated uh the next question it says Keon Brooks shooting touch improvement over the summer what is possible where he becomes hard to defend similarly Jacob Toppin ball handling improvement possibilities in parentheses think Devin Booker two dribble pull up 
Um, Keon's shooting, if if Keon could add a consistent shot from three-point range, we have seen him knock some down this year, Derek. If that's a shot that he adds, then you can kind of get to the point to where him playing the three, you start to like it a little more. Yeah, yeah, that's that's kind of the – are you leaning that way too? That I Keon am. Be the three next year? Yeah. I am. I am too. And if that's going to be the case, then, yeah, he definitely is going to have to – be a little bit more consistent, but I think he's shown at times that, that he's capable of doing that and knocking those shots down. I feel better with him at the three than Toppin, unless Toppin shows – I mean, maybe next year Toppin gets that shot down a little bit more. I, I like Toppin a little bit more at the four, and I think Toppin's a guy with his frame. He can add more add more muscle and everything like and, that. And I could see – we I know we've hated this shot. Like, and with analytics and statistics and everything, when it comes to that mid-range jumper, I know that we hate it. Like a, a lot of times we talked and said, why does Kentucky shoot? But I think it's more of the 18-footers that Kentucky shoots than the 14, 15-footers that we hate. So Well, and they don't make them. I think, isn't, and they don't. And I know that sounds obvious. That, but like, yeah. Well, you mentioned Trey Lyles a few episodes ago. We were talking about how money he was on that 15-footer on the baseline. Jacob Toppin's got to a point to where he shoots the ball well enough, Derek. I, I think that he could build uh, – some some pieces to his games or an element to his game where he could knock down a dribble pull up here and there. And don't you feel a little bit like I don't know how to phrase this making sense. Like yeah, analytics tell you to shoot threes and get shots around the rim, but like for the way this UK team is constructed, like do you really want Keon Brooks taking ten threes a game? Do you want Jacob Toppin taking like eight threes a game? Like, no. So to me, that, that 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 would be a whole program change, yeah, and it, it, you can argue it's a change that needs to be made. I wouldn't I wouldn't disagree with that. I'm just saying for this team, you know, if Jacob Toppin's strength is hitting mid range jumpers like he's shown he can do when he curls off some of those screens, and Keon has shown he can hit some mid range jumpers. If that's what those guys are best at, I think that's what you know they need to do. So yeah, to me, the big problem this year is if you look at you know if you're talking about shots on an analytical scale. They're taking shots that analytics would say aren't great shots, and they're missing them. So that's really what what makes the problem worse, I would yeah, say. It does. Um, this question comes from Jason. He says, any international guys worth keeping an eye on for next year? Seems like Jamal Murray came out of nowhere and lit it up. What major conference coaches might be on hot seat with good guards for the taking? I've not followed it enough on the international seen Derek to know if there's a guy out there uh, I don't either I, yeah, I don't know about that I think the transfer portal is more likely than anything international I just think that a guy transferring and as far as major conference coaches let's think here do you can you think that of must them? be that's probably where the Marcus Carr question came from because I, I had read that it's expected that uh Richard Patino will be will be with either he'll be fired or he'll just leave on his own and go somewhere else so I guess that is where Carr came from, which would make sense if that's, if that's the, the thinking. But uh, besides him, no, ESPN had a long story on uh, a really good story. If you're if you're a subscriber to ESPN, Jeff Borzello wrote it. There were like Frank Martin was a name who was on there, and I don't know what the SEC transfer rules, but like I said, I wasn't going to speculate on this stuff. But just for for the sake of the question, like AJ Lawson. Is a pretty good guard there if you if you wanted to play like maybe he would be someone who'd be considered. But just in terms of the coaches, yeah, Frank Lawson was on there, DePaul's coach was on there, but I don't know anything about their roster. But that's an interesting angle though, just with Dwayne Peavy being there now 
if he does make that decision, it's something that'll at least be on the UK radar, I think, because you know maybe someone from here gets an interview for that job. But uh, no, I think like New Mexico, like there were there were some schools that were up there, but no one, no one. Arizona was a school that like maybe, and LSU like maybe if the NCAA FBI investigation ever amounts to anything. But no, I don't know enough about about the coaches and. And, you know, there could be some surprise firings, too. I mean, I think last year Danny Manning, when they ended up getting uh, Sar, I think Danny Manning was a surprise firing uh, at, at the time just because they did it so late compared to some other teams. But that, that's a good question, and it's certainly something to be thinking about for sure. Um, anytime a coach is let go, if you could find a guard who might want to try something else next season. Yeah, you, you have the next question there, right? I do. Come from Bill. It says, well, the new league, which I think he's talking about overtime, right? The overtime yeah, league. That's the that, new one that was announced, right? Yeah, and I don't know much about the details, but will the new league take money away from NCAA and thus cause contraction of conferences, players, and salaries, which I believe would be not necessarily contracts, but more or less maybe a, a push to get the name, image, and likeness done? And I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know that this new league I, will it be appealing to some kids, probably. Like I said, I don't know enough about the details. Um, but the name, image, and likeness is coming. I mean, I think I think Ross Dellinger's tweet might have said up to like 15 states. I've already like had things put in for it. So you're gonna be at a point soon where these states are passing it, but maybe the NCAA does. I don't know. It sounds like it's all gonna be a big mess. <laughs> that's that's what you're competing with now, though, right? Yeah, I mean, you you're, you're not only competing with your you're not only competing with blue bud programs and college basketball coaches on the recruiting trail. You're now competing with this. That, that's how it's changed. And that's kind of what, you know, how, is, how much does that worry you in your program like Kentucky or Duke that you made your living the last decade off of taking these top kids? I mean, would John Wall have come to college 10 years, you know, if, if some of these things were around? Would he have gone to the G League? Like, that's that's, that's where you got to. And, two, you're you at what? a point, right, where you've been in this cycle. And you got to this cycle. Like, the first year that Cal was at Kentucky, the first couple of years that Cal was at Kentucky, there was some there wasn't there was roster turnover, but there was also a core group of players that remained that started with him, like Josh Harrelson, uh DeAndre Liggins, Darius Miller, the you know, that list goes on. Uh Perry Stevenson, Ramon Harris there that first year, Patrick Patterson. You had these guys in your program who you had experience to go along with it. Now, Perry Stevenson and Ramon Harris became very limited role players as that first season went along. But you're at a point now, Derek, where you've been doing this turnover and you're you're just turning it over every year, starting all over every year. The only now, if this let's say this is a change, like let's say that Kentucky doesn't just that there's not as much one and done. Let's say that it gets to a point to where uh, the G League takes over or guys can go to the NBA right out of high school here in a few years or something like that happens that kind of alters the way that you construct your rosters. Kentucky has to go through a period of building things back to what it was prior to Calipari, right? You've got to go through a two- or three-year stretch where you build your roster up to have some seniors on it. Has there always been such an emphasis in, in, in I guess, young people to just go get paid? Like, was it that way 20 years ago, or is it the, the lucrative contract deals now in the NBA that has changed that? I think – I think It just feels like everyone – and I'm not saying it's wrong. Uh, if I was – dude, if I was 19 or whatever – and didn't have to go to college and could make a lot of money, hell yeah. Like, I'm not saying it's the wrong thing. I just feel like maybe there's a mentality now where, like, there must be some kind of appetite 
for young people to to want to go. If Overtom thinks that there's an avenue to pay kids or whatever and, and keep them from going to school, basically, I mean, maybe some people will take it. But I guess just how where has how it used to be, maybe they didn't have really any other option than to go to college, so that made college the most appealing option. Whereas now, I don't know where college stacks up as it stands right now with some of these other options. Yeah, it's, I mean, Kaminga and um, who's the other big Green? Yeah, Jalen Green have both done pretty well in the G League. It's not seemed to have hurt their stock at all. They're still both projected to be pretty highly ranked guys. You might have some kids look at that and say, "Man, they they've done well. Uh, if they had a good experience, I might want to follow in that path." That's a real, That's one of the biggest questions I think facing facing the Blue Bloods. Who I think who recruit these kids? I think Terrence Clark. I think Terrence Clark would have gone G League had he known this situation. <laughs> yeah, had he known what was going to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think probably. he would have gone. Or if this team was going to be, you know, this bad or this down, I think he would have gone G League. Uh, another question about Devin Askew, and we've kind of already answered it. You know, what is the ceiling of Devin Askew? Is it better than a sophomore Quad A Green? And if not, why is he here? Quad A Green has been the name that's been compared to to Devin Askew, hasn't it? Like you and I talked about it. Uh, I think I've had another couple of other people talk about it. I think it's the easiest one uh, because we kind of saw how Quade got to a point to where he became a guy that just stood off the ball and hopefully knocked down shots, but was smaller than mm-hmm. Devin Askew. Uh, I'm not ready to say if he's better than a sophomore Quade Green. He he needs to be, or there's going to be a situation if he's not, Derek then we already know how the situation turned out with Quade. Quade was not a good fit for the Kentucky basketball program and what John Calipari wants to do with his guards and his backcourt. Uh, Tyler Eulis was a rare, rare exception to everything Calipari's wanted to do. Um, I don't know. I think that, that I think Devin asked you if he's here next year, you've got to see significant improvement or you get to a point to where you're at Kentucky and you think at some point, you already mentioned you know, Wagner, uh, we mentioned Jaden Bradley, Sky Clark. You get passed up here. Well, Quade Green's freshman year was was better <laughs> than what Askew has shown here. I mean, he averaged, and again, he different. You can throw COVID in there. It's you know, he had Shea there to help him out. You know what I mean? Like he had another point guard. Uh, but but Quade averaged nine points and, and had two assists per game, almost three as a freshman. And then those numbers dipped a little bit before he left uh, during the middle of the sophomore year. I, I do think the comparison fits just because, like, it's going to be a situation where you see him moving off the ball. It's like it's two guys who came here as point guards, didn't quite have what it took, it seemed like, to be the point guard for Cal, and someone else came in and, and did that. And, of course, Quade left, and he ended up at a situation in Washington this year. You know, he's, he's, he's had a decent career out there. He averaged 11 points his, his junior year, and now this year he's averaging 14. He's been, you know, probably in consideration for small Pac, uh, Pac-12 awards. But, when you ask why is he still here, like not every kid has to be a superstar. And I know it seems like it has to be that way at UK because of the stakes and, and how the teams are just so year to year. But like, there's nothing wrong with having a rotation guy who can come in and knock down some shots and, and play some decent defense. He doesn't have to be a star. If you can get the roster where the guy's not counted on as much, I think he, I think he could be a good fit at UK. Still be a good fit at UK, I guess I should say. Yeah, I think so too. Um, that I think we have one more question when it comes to replies to Twitter, and then I think I have four in my DMs at least. Uh, this one comes from Shane. Do you see a lot of guys transferring out of the program? I'm going to put it at 
two at the most, Derek. But I don't, I don't think, I don't think it'll get to two. I, I could see, I think one for sure. I think they'll have one transfer. Uh, I don't want to say who because I, I want to kind of give it some time. But I think two tops. But I think one's the most likely. If you're asking me, none, one or two, I would put it at one. Yeah. Well, let's just go ahead. And, I, I'm going to say Cameron Fletcher. Like I just think that given the situation and the not only the situation and how it all played out, but to how loaded Kentucky is with just bodies at that spot when it yeah. comes to the four and five or the three. I just I don't I just don't know. Like it, it maybe if he sticks around by the time he would be a sophomore if he decides to use but here's the other thing, right? These kids can use this blanket waiver and still be a freshman, so you still have your clock's not even started ticking yet. So yeah. how does that how does that change transfer decisions? I mean that's another element that we haven't gotten into. Yeah, I mean if you're a freshman and you're wanting to leave, I mean you saw potentially if you want to use it four years. So it's like you just be a freshman again. Um I guess it just depends on what your definition of a lot would be. I mean, kids transfer every year from every program, so I don't – you say one, I could see two. I think it's probably more likely, given the history, it would, it'll be two. If I agree with you on, on Fletcher. I, even past some of the other stuff, just the fact that he's not played very much, and like you said, there, it's just a lot of competition there. So either way, you're looking. he's looking at an uphill battle to get on the court next year. Um, even if he's in the good graces of John Calipari. So, yeah, I think he would be someone. And then you got a few other guys who are in the situation I think could go either way that I, I think should return. Uh, I think it would be good for them, for both sides, if they returned. But who knows what, what happens when, when they sit down and reflect on this season. Maybe they'll someone will just want to go elsewhere. So I, I'll say two. But if you're asking me who the second one would be, I really yeah. – you can make a case either way for for why – they should, should, would either want to stay or why they'd want to go. So, but I just think, given the odds, I've used I've used three three people in that range as who could stay or who could go. And I do too. I could see one of those guys leaving, which would put it at two. Yep. And opinion. I think we all I think we won't I think we all have the same three people in our mind. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just look so. at those situations. Uh, next question comes from back to Final Four. It's the same thing. I knew that this would be a big topic. And I didn't look through all these questions at first where I would have put them all together. It says, if Jimmy Docks is correct and UK has eight new guys next year, you are the GM for next year's UK men's basketball team. Project what the team looks like, who will be here, who leaves. Does the 3-4-5 position need to be thinned? The backcourt would appear to be alarmingly void of difference makers. If true, how is next year better? And that's the common denominator we're getting at now, Derek, is how is next year better? Well, that was very well explained. Uh... It was. Question. I mean, it's yeah, it hits on everything. And again, I know if you've listened to this whole episode, I've said it like three times, but you know, it's like I, I do think I think everybody at this point can agree the backcourt help is going to come from the portal, yep. unless they get Trevor kills, and, and then maybe they decide to take Podzimski, but again, it doesn't seem likely. So you're either going to have a five star shooting guard and kills, or you're going to have, I would say, two guys, two new guys on the backcourt, and then you're Sean Hickman. And I think Ashley will come back, and then I think Allen will still be there. If you're asking us today, I think those two guys should still be here. And the three, four, five position gets thinned out if somebody decides to transfer. Like that's yeah, the only yeah. way I see that that gets thinned out. And that's what I just now you kind of mentioned when I was talking about Cameron Fletcher. What's he decide to do? 
the reason I see him transferring is not as much about what happened in December as much as it is about the looking at the landscape of the roster. And at that position, it's hard to get on the floor at that spot when you're going to have Keon Brooks, Jacob Toppin, who have clearly passed him up. And I think even if Fletcher had been playing, would have passed him up. Uh, Damian Collins, Bryce Hopkins. Does is, is Bryce Hopkins emerge and be better than what we think he's going to be as a freshman? And then you throw in Oscar, and then you've still got Lance Ware. I, there's just a lot of crowded pieces there at that spot. Yeah, the 2-3-4 two, two, is interesting. Um, obviously not all of those spots are, are interchangeable. Well, like I would say the only true four, and he could even play some five. Like Lance Ware, I guess, is, is one of the few bigs on next year's team that I would look at and say, well, Collins and Sheboy as well, if we're talking about next year. But, like, Ware will under no circumstance will play the three. <laughs> Whereas you have guys like Toppin and Brooks who, who can play the three. Hopkins can play the three. And you can even say Dante Allen, you know, can play some of that three if you need them to. So there are a lot of bodies in that mix. Um, it, it's just – I will be excited for the Kentucky Daily episodes when it's about June or whenever and we have this roster done, it's finished, we know what it looks like, and then we can discuss how much better things may or may not be next year. Because as of now, like, you know, putting on the GM hat like you asked to do, I mean, I, I think it's a really fun question. I think it's a, a good thing to look at. Um, but, man, you guys know how it is with Kentucky basketball. It's just too it's too early. It's too early to see. Let's see how it plays out the next few months, and hopefully in greater detail we can evaluate who's on next year's team and, and go from there. But yeah. no question there there need to be some changes made, and there will be. There's no way that that there won't be changes made. So, But a guy I didn't mention, I think, at all today, like Mintz, is someone we've talked about a lot. Like He's someone I, I think they should they should very strongly encourage to be back next year if he wants to be here. I'm seeing four more questions here. Derek, uh, hope it's not late for mailbag questions. It's not late. <laughs> if you got to pick one to come back for a second year with Kentucky, who would you choose between Mintz and Boston? That comes from Dylan. I like that question. I do too. Wow, that's, that's a good question. It's, I was sitting here looking at it, trying to figure out which one I would pick. I'm about to I'm about to be a hypocrite because I'm all the time like, why, why do these NBA teams just want to go off potential all the time? Why don't they just draft productive guys? And now I'm going to be like. <laughs> Man, Boston potentially could be really good as a sophomore. Versus <laughs> yeah. what we know that Mintz has. Man, what a good question. Mintz has developed that killer instinct, though, right? Or that kind of leadership quality that you want on your team next year. That where do you get it elsewhere outside of Keon Brooks or some of these some guys like that? I mean, but sophomore Boston could you could kind of see sophomore Boston. Let's put it this way. If B.J. Boston reaches his potential of what everyone built him to be, he's better than Davion Mintz. Yes, yes. Okay. So if you get the best version of B.J. Boston, you take B.J. Boston. But if you just get a slightly improved version of B.J. Boston, I think I take Davion Mintz. Yeah, that's a good caveat to throw on there. If you're getting what he was projected to be, B.J. that is, out of high school, and you're looking at someone next year who could average 18 points a game, then, yeah, that's who you'd want. But I agree with you there. If it's going to be a moderately improved, still not a very efficient BJ Boston, then yeah, get Mintz back. I mean, that was a good question. I might be my favorite one of the day to to have thought about because no, no bag's not over yet though. <laughs> it's not. That's more of it uh, right through there. So I guess to answer it, I'm just picking one. 
I'll still I'll still take what what you know you'll have in Davion I guess is what I'll say. I, I could see the leadership quality, but my, oh man, I, I just want to flip back already. What next year's roster is really missing already? We just talked about is like a, a dominant wing type, and if BJ could be that guy next year, he could be the missing piece that a team like that would have because if Pickman's better, I don't know. Good question. Sorry, I couldn't answer it better. Next question is. Could Keontae George reclass and give UK the star power it needs next year? I've not heard anything about a reclass, but yeah, he's he's a really good player. Uh, he was someone that Brandon Jenkins, yeah. who who came on and talked to us about a kid from Texas. I like him a lot on, and if they could get him, I like him a lot next year's class. But I believe there is some thought he might, he might be on the pro route. I think there's some discussion with him that way. But if Jay Lucas gets in on him and then maybe convinces him to come here. I could see him fitting really, really nicely in that 22 class. He's already got Sky, right? He's in that class. Seems like they're the leader for Jaden Bradley, who's also a point guard. So if you got uh, George, uh, that's, that's your three guards right there. And I've not heard of him as a reclass, to answer the question, but I do think he should be someone, if he's staying in 22 and he's interested in college, he will probably be one of the top guards. But you've also got Nick Smith, too, who I was forgetting about, <clears throat> who has not been offered yet. But already has a crystal ball pick in, and the thought seemed to be if Kentucky pursues him, he will be in this class. So that's kind of the thing, Sean. Yeah, this year's been terrible. There still seem to be a lot of very good basketball players who want to come play at Kentucky, which is why when the questions are asked who you'd rather have as a coach, it's 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 hard to want to go away from, from the amount of kids who still want to play here and the talent you can still assemble year in and year out. Yep. It is, and you said that was your favorite mailbag question. Well, Shane has entered the mailbag again, Derek. You remember the Malik Monk question with Tyler Ulis last week? Oh, yes. On the mailbag. So he says, what Willie Colley Stein dunk was your favorite? And he he attached a picture of Willie just posterizing the kid from Cincinnati. He said, mine was the one in the NCAA tournament against Cincy in the middle late first half. The guy didn't check back in for the remainder of the game afterwards. <laughs> so, <laughs> Willie had some really good dunks. <laughs> Willie Willie had some really good dunks, Derek. Uh the Florida one the Florida one's my favorite because of Rock Oliver on the bench, losing his mind. I don't know if you remember the sideline view that they went oh, on. Oh yeah. Yeah. And you just see Rock just standing there, just like screaming. Florida is, is mine as well. Yeah. That's I, the one that when he asked a question, that was the first one I thought of. Yeah. But the Cincinnati one was really good though. Well, it's fun. I didn't know that that kid didn't check back. That's true. That's that's really funny. Um, the Louisville one wasn't like a phenomenal dunk, but when they kind of like was it Harold, he like kind of pushed down or whoever, and then yeah. dunked it when he took the ball. Uh, that was one I thought of. And it seems like he had one against Texas, right? Maybe a putback. He that did. home game at Rupp, where he had a big one late in the game. He had one at LSU too, that he got an and one on. I'm pretty sure there when they were coming back in the second half, and I'm, I, he just. He had so many dunks that stand out. There was one against Arkansas that I remember that he had a good one too. Uh, he had some great blocks uh, as well against Arkansas. He had that one um, on Portis. Yeah, yeah. Good, good question. I, I love questions. I keep love all going, these Shane. questions, but keep, those keep are those every week. Come yeah, on. keep reading them because they're so it it gets our mind thinking to some of the past moments and, and very creative. We've we've had some very solid questions today, uh, which brings me to Lucas Witt. 
Lucas, okay. it was really Lucas. It was really good seeing you at the Kentucky women's basketball game back in January. And Lucas is back in the portal for a second or a portal. I'm putting Lucas <laughs> in the portal. Sorry, Lucas. Lucas is back in the mailbag for a second straight week. For Mailbag Friday, way too early SEC standings. What's your prediction for next year in any football recruiting? Is is this a basketball or football? I'm gonna say uh I'm gonna say football. Since he asked about football recruiting, I'll go SEC football standings for next year. That'd probably be the easiest one to project, right? Yeah, um, well, we could do either, like top five for basketball if you wanted to. Um, okay. So I'll set for basketball. I don't want to put them in order yet because it's too early for that. We're holding another season away. I think the five teams most likely to be the best in the SEC next year will be Alabama. I would say Arkansas will be up there still. I think Auburn potentially could be very good next season depending on who comes back. Um, and I think Kentucky will be in there and then probably Tennessee. Did I just name six? Oh, my name's six. I think you named five just then. I think five, that, was, okay. that, that was actually the same five that I was going to go with, too. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anyone out else. I mean, Florida seems to always kind of be in, like, they're never great, like, never, like, top of the standings, but they're always pretty solid. How, like. how does Tennessee do with losing some guys they're going to lose? Well, if you want to go off narratives and you go back to Rick Barnes' time at Texas, he might be better off just finding the kids like <laughs> Admiral – well, I don't know if he recruited Schofield or if he was already there. Uh, but the kids like Grant Williams and Jordan Bone, who were not highly thought of guys who developed very well, versus yeah. whenever he seems to get these five-star kids who, uh, for whatever reason – has have another one coming next year in Chandler. I, I think there's actually – well, one, like to me, and I thought about this, and I guess it occurred to me the most whenever Kentucky played them, is – I think I mentioned on the podcast, Tennessee is really lacking, like, an elite big or a wing. Yeah, they are. Well, I shouldn't say wing because, like, Keon Johnson, which but they won't be there next year. Johnson Springer won't. But, like, a big that is just very good. Like, Fulkerson has had his success. I get it. He's had some good moments. I still think you're going to take Oscar Sheboy and Damon Collins over him if you had the choice next year. Fulker, Fulkerson's not good enough to lead you to the elite level of the NCAA tournament. No, and he's had a weird year this year because he was playing, like, just, just great basketball last year against. I mean, I guess Kentucky played great. Uh, Kentucky killer last year. Alabama's not to replace some some veteran guys. I mean, Petty's been there forever, uh, but they'll still have Shackelford back, and I think the J.D. Davidson kid they're bringing in could be phenomenal. And, so yeah, point he's guard, recruiting could, well there too. Like that's yeah. the thing there. They'll have a good roster. Um, uh, Quiverly or Quinterly, however you say his name, the kid from Villanova who transferred there, he'll still be there. Uh. They'll, they're also leading for a near five-star big. I believe they might get that kid. Uh, I can't, I'm not going to pronounce his name. He's from Canada. He's come to the United States. But they'll be good. I think Kentucky will bounce back. So for football, I don't see anybody challenging Georgia on the SEC East. I mean, I just think they're, they're far and away, top to bottom, the best team in the East. They, they're actually my pick. And I know, you know, pick Georgia at your own uh, – at your own risk in the preseason, I get it. But I think Georgia, I think this could be their year to win the whole conference and get back to that Final Four uh, college football playoff. So I could see a number of teams finishing second. I mean, I think you always kind of choose Florida's talent just because top to bottom they're going to be better than a lot of teams. But I think Kentucky will be right in that mix for the third spot if they get some breaks. Um, potentially, I mean, potentially, I, I wouldn't put them to this early. But I, I would feel pretty comfortable putting UK in that third spot, and I think Missouri could also be there. 
Um, besides that, man, I mean, I think Tennessee would have to really overachieve to be considered for that that third spot. Um, and then I don't think South Carolina or Vandy even has a chance to finish near that high. So SEC West, I'm not studied enough to know, but probably always a safe pick to pick Alabama on that side. It, it is. Um I would I would put Kentucky somewhere in that three range with a chance to get to two. Uh, that those make for the most exciting years though, right there when they're somewhere in that range and they they're good enough. Maybe if they get a break like you mentioned, they can climb. And the year that they played Georgia for the East was fun, just to have the opportunity for Kentucky to play a meaningful football game in November with a chance to go to to Atlanta. Uh, I think that's what Kentucky fans hope they get here again is that feeling again, and hopefully we have uh, a packed Kroger Field and some normal attendance games this coming season. But we have one more, two more mailbag questions, both from Wilson. Uh, can you break down why, in the rare occasion, he gets playing time, Dante Allen doesn't get open more? It seems like he does a lot of standing around compared to someone like Mintz who is, consi- who is constantly moving and working to get open. It seems like Dante is set at the wing, sets the screen, and then goes back to his spot on the wing is consi- covered almost 100% of the time. Is this a Dante thing or a cow thing in your opinion? I love watching Dante be successful, but in the minutes he's gotten recently, he's not creating a situation where Cal has to leave him in. That being said, I wish he didn't have to be undeniable and would get more opportunities like Askew. I think you take, take that one, Coach. Well, I think I think well, one thing I want to say too, because I was thinking this last night, what I said about Reed Shepard being better than Dante right now, I was meaning Reed Shepard as a sophomore in high school is better than was better than Dante Allen as a sophomore in high school. Yeah, that's, like, that's I, how I took it. I don't know. Yeah, I, I was hoping nobody took it that Reed Shepard's better than Dante Allen, the two-year player that's been at Kentucky. I wasn't getting at that, no. Uh, so I wanted to make sure I cleared that up. But as far as why that's happening, I think – I think lack of point guard play is hurting a lot of these people on this roster, Derek, and I think that that is a thing that has killed them all season. Uh, Kyle Tucker's been on this whole thing that a better point guard would have made B.J. Boston better quickly, and I agree with that because that's what sets the table for you, and they don't have anyone that makes it easy for them. But the other thing, too, it's not Dante Allen's skill set to kind of move around a lot. Dante's a catch-and-shoot guy. We've seen it. He him putting it on the floor has not led to very many successful opportunities and things this year for Kentucky offensively or for Dante Derek. So if you're if you're Cal talking to Dante and you're talking about this offseason, like what what does he really need to focus on? You think? I think obviously the defensive end has to be the top because you could play him more as long as he's able to defend. Like even if he's not getting shots or opportunities like Wilson's talking about here, as long as he's defending his spot and his position, uh, you could leave him in the game longer. I think at one point this year too, Kentucky was running a lot of action for Dante that they're not running now. And you also have to factor in this too, Derek. He wasn't even on scouting reports when he made the appearance at Mississippi State. Nobody had talked about Dante Allen. He's on every scouting report now because of the Mississippi State game. So coaches and teams are aware of him, which I think takes him out of play. But back to what he said at the end of the question, when you only play somebody two to three minutes, you're maybe getting four to five five possessions tops offensively. You're not really getting an opportunity to really showcase or do anything. So that's why I'm not really wanting to knock Dante much on his offensive game and, you know, the opportunities that he's had because he's not really got a, much of an opportunity to do much. 
Yeah, and I did notice that too. I was specifically watching Dante, I think, against Florida. Yeah, I had to been at home game because I was able to, to see him without the help of a TV camera. And it, it was. I mean, it very much was just a lot of standing around, not really doing a whole lot. And, uh, yeah, I don't really know what the design is there. I don't coach. I don't know enough about it. To and that only works if you can stick a guy somewhere and you have a guy that can beat someone off the bounce and make somebody help. This is a random aside since we're going on a long mailbag episode. I went back uh, and watched some Shea Gilders Alexander highlights at UK. Really good, and right? What a crafty player. Yeah. He was. I just think about someone like him on this year's team, how he could have helped someone like EJ. And it was easy to see when you watched him. You knew he was going to be this good in the NBA. You you knew it from watching what he did. Uh, probably, I'll say this, out of all the guys they've had, he's my favorite. I, I liked him because – I mean, they went Tyler Eulis, De'Aaron Fox, Shea Gildas-Alexander. Uh, I mean, just in three years. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty good. And the thing I liked about Shea – and Higgins, compared to these guys on this team, was pretty damn good, too. So. He is. And the thing that I liked about Shea, as I loved, like you mentioned, how crafty he was. Uh, he By the time the season got to SEC play and down, he became a really reliable outside shooter, too. Like, he was able to knock down some shots. The performance against Buffalo was a lot of fun to watch. Uh, him in the SEC tournament where he won MVP was a lot of fun to watch as well. But I liked Shea. Derek, I think you'll agree with this, too. Shea was one of the nicest kids we talked to. Yeah, yeah, very, very kind person. Uh, yeah, once he uh, once he hit about SEC play there that second half of that season, he he, I mean, has quite a green starting for a lot of that year. And Shea was coming off the bench, and then uh, you know, had the breakout game against Louisville, which I didn't even watch because I was covering the Music City Bowl. So I've never even really gone back and watched that game. I've seen some highlights here and there, but quite a played with glasses against Virginia Tech. <laughs> Yeah, he had those shades on. He got on the cover of the Cats Paws that week uh, with that. But I just wanted to bring him up just because I had watched that. And that, that whole team was was interesting because it was one of the first teams outside of the NIT team that struggled. I, I know the 2013-14 the UK team had some struggles, but, you know, I guess I'd forgotten that the uh, the Shea team had lost, what did Cal meant, six of seven or something like that? I know they had a four-game losing four streak. Four-game losing streak right there in the middle. Which was like the end of the world back then. It was. And uh, now they're to the point where, uh, you know, they've had multiple, multiple, multiple losing streaks this year. But yeah. is there one more question or was that, was that it? Yeah, he had a second question. If the image and likeness thing happens, do you think it will be harder to recruit kids out of state when we have an in-state superstar like a Reed Shepard? Seems like it could reduce the value proposition for those out-of-state kids when the whole fan base is rallying behind the 606 guy. Oh, man, I'm not even thought about that. Uh, <laughs> it's a good, another good question, right? I would, I would, yeah, it is. I would think the um, let's just use a guy I brought up last night, like Dewan Wagner Jr. If he comes here, I think there would still be a market for a surefire NBA player one day, don't you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. To put on billboards and they like, and that's how it's gonna go with I think with this name, image, and likeness anyway. Is I mean, there's gonna be, yeah, you're gonna have the guys that are the most well known who are gonna get the most opportunities for. For, for these things, but for Kentucky basketball, I think there's room, and I think all those kids are well-known enough that there will still be there will still be opportunities there, but that, that's a good question. I hadn't thought of it that way, and that, that will be something interesting to follow if and when that happens. Um, is that a recruiting pitch to read? 
this thing passes and you'll be on every billboard and on New Circle Road? Yeah, that's uh, definitely that's a good question for sure. We had a lot of good questions in this mailbag, and that officially brings the mailbag to an end. Brian mentions that he wants us to hold off, on, or he, he wants to hold off on a baseball question. He wants to give it a week or so. So we look forward to uh, Brian, you you asking a question here uh, next week or in the coming weeks. But Derek, <laughs> that was a loaded mailbag episode. Easily our biggest mailbag episode. I think that was the equivalent to two usual mailbag episodes. But we appreciate everyone uh, submitting questions. As always, if we missed you, please let me know. There were a lot of questions there. I may have looked over one. I don't think I did. Uh, if they're on my Twitter, Derek can't always see every single reply. So that's why we try to go back and forth, making sure we cover them all. Uh, but I want to make sure that we plug the Butcher's Pub, two locations, one in Pineville, Kentucky, one in Williamsburg, Kentucky, and then a third one coming to London, Kentucky later this month. You can visit the butcherspub.com or you can check them out on Facebook. Uh, Kentucky, South Carolina in action tomorrow afternoon at Rupp Arena. It's a noon Eastern time tip on ESPN. Kentucky concludes the regular season. Uh, before heading to Nashville next week to play on Thursday in that round of the SEC tournament. He's Derek Terry. I'm Sean Smith. We'll catch you next time on Kentucky Daily.